Chapter thirty two of Love's Shadow by Ada Leveson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter thirty two. The Drive. From time to time, invitations had been received from the Selseys, all of which Cecil had asked Hyacinth to refuse on various pretexts. As she was convinced that he intended never to see Lady Selsey again if he could possibly help it, she made no objection and did not even remark to him that it would look odd. One afternoon Cecil was in St. James's Street when he remembered that there was an exhibition at Carfax's. He strolled in, and was for the moment quite taken by surprise at the evident gaiety of the crowd. It seemed so incongruous to hear laughter at a private view, where it is now usual to behave with the embarrassed and respectful gloom appropriate to a visit of condolence, with the corpse in the next room. Then he remembered that it was an exhibition of Max Beerbohm's caricatures, and that people's spirits were naturally raised at the sight of the cruel distortions, ridiculous situations, and fantastic misrepresentations of their friends and acquaintances on the walls. Cecil was smiling to himself at a charming picture of the Archbishop of Canterbury when someone touched him on the shoulder. He turned round. It was Lord Selsey and his wife. He looked suave and debonair as ever, with his touch of attenuated Georgian dandyism. She had not changed, nor had her long brown eyes lost their sly and fascinating twinkle. Evidently Lord Selsey had not been able, if indeed he had tried, to persuade her to take much trouble about her appearance, but he had somehow succeeded in making her carelessness seem picturesque. The long, rather vague cloak that she wore might pass at any rate in a picture-gallery, as artistic, and the flat hat with its long brown feather suggested a Rembrandt, and must have been chosen for her against her will, no doubt by her husband. She really looked particularly plain this afternoon, but at first glance Cecil admired her as much as ever. "'It's most fortunate we've met you. I have to go on somewhere, and you must drive Eugenia home. You must have a lot to talk about,' Lord Selsey said. Cecil began to make an excuse. "'Oh, you can't refuse. Are you afraid of me? Don't you want to have a talk with your aunt?' said Eugenia. He had no choice, and ten minutes later found himself driving in a hansom with his old love. "'Well, tell me, Cecil, aren't you happy? Weren't we quite right?' "'Of course,' said he. "'What an absurd boy you are. It's nice to see you again. I feel just like a mother to you.' "'When am I going to see Hyacinth? Won't you let me be friends with her? I fell in love with her at first sight. I suppose she worships you, eh? And you take it as a matter of course and give yourself airs. Oh, I know you. I like Ted very much. He's a wonderful man. He knows everything. He's—what's the word? Volatile? No, versatile.' He's a walking encyclopaedia of knowledge. He can write Persian poetry as soon as look at you. And everything he hasn't learned he knows by instinct. He has the disposition of an angel and the voice of a gazelle. No, wait a minute, do I mean gazelle? Gazelles don't sing, do they? I must mean nightingales. He sings and plays really beautifully. Why didn't you tell me what a rare creature your uncle is? He has the artistic temperament, as they call it, without any of the nasty temper and horrid unpunctuality that goes with it. I really do admire Ted Cecil. I think he's perfect. That's most satisfactory, said Cecil. She burst out laughing. Oh, 
Cecil, you haven't changed a bit. But marvellous and angelic as Ted is, it's a sort of relief, in a way, to meet an ordinary man. You don't know all about everything, do you? If I asked you the most difficult question about art or science or history or metaphysics or even dress, you wouldn't be able to answer it, would you? Do you always keep your temper? Is your judgment thoroughly sound? Can you talk modern Greek and Arabian? I think not. You're full of faults, and delightfully ignorant and commonplace, and it's jolly to see you again. Eugenia, you're the same as ever. Don't go home yet. Let's go for a drive. But oughtn't you to go back to your wife? I dare say she's counting the minutes. Nothing could ever grow prosaic to her, not even being married to you. She's gone out somewhere, with Anne Yeo, I think. Do, Eugenia. I shall never ask you again. Just for once, like old times. I couldn't stand the idea of going to see you at Selsey House. It depressed and irritated me. This is different. All right, said Eugenia. Then make the most of it. I shan't do it again. Where shall we drive? I've always wondered what happened at the very end of the Cromwell Road. Let's drive there, and then you can leave me at home. That will be quite a long way. It's rather a mad idea, Cecil, but it's fun. Isn't it just like Ted to ask you to take me home? You see what a darling, clever creature he is. He guessed. He knew we should be a little excited at meeting again. He wanted to get it over by leaving us quite free to talk. I must say I shouldn't have done that in his place, said Cecil. Oh, you! You might have had some cause of jealousy. He never could. But I don't think I shall allow any more freaks like this. In a way, I'm rather pleased you haven't forgotten me, Cecil. Who could ever forget you? Who could ever get tired of you? You could, and you would have by now, if I had been foolish enough to marry you. She seemed to Cecil, as ever, a delightful medley of impulses, whims, and fancies. For him there was always some magic about her. In her pale radiance he still found the old, dazzling, unaccountable charm. Hyacinth, do let us score off Lady Cannon and get the housemaid without her help. Why, I have, Anne. I advertised it all by myself. Several came to see me yesterday. Well, what did you do about it? Nothing particular. Oh, yes, I did. I wrote down the address of one or two. Emma Sinfield, Maud Frick, Annie Crutcher, and Mary Garstin. Which shall I have, Anne? Which name do you like best? Emma Sinfield, I think. Or if she doesn't do, I rather fancy Garstin. Where does Emma live? In the Cromwell Road. We ought to go and ask for her character today. You go, then, and I'll go with you. You won't know what to ask. I'll do it for you. All right. We may as well drive there as anywhere. Anne declared the character quite satisfactory, for Emma Sinfield's late employer, although displaying the most acute conscientiousness, could find no fault with her except a vaulting ambition and a wild desire to better herself, which is not unknown in other walks of life, and they were driving away in the motor when they came face to face with Cecil and Eugenia in a hansom. He was talking with so much animation that he did not see them. She was looking straight before her. Hyacinth turned pale as death and seized Anne's hand. Anne said nothing. End of chapter 32